Well, we're in this series of I Wonder Why, <clears throat> where we walk along with Jesus and we see him do things that we just wonder, why in the world did he do something that strange? And how do we imitate that in our lives? How do we follow in those footsteps? Or, as is the case today, we hear teaching that Jesus gives where he says, you know, here's, here's something I want you to think about. And we got to sit and wonder about this and how that works for us. So in our journey in this Lenten season, we've come to this point and we're going to look at this passage of scripture that some of us here have probably heard sermons on a thousand times over. It's a very common passage, but I want to see if maybe we can take a fresh look at it and look at it from our eyes in our context and see what we might learn for us today here. And so the issue that we're talking about in this passage, we'll look at in a moment in the Gospel of Luke, is an issue of, of being lost and found. And the, the actual story that we're going to read and the, the circumstances around the story that Jesus tells is the story that we often refer to as the prodigal son. So we know this story. There have been movies made about this. There have been all kinds of reiterations of the story. And there's probably other ways that we could define it now rather than the prodigal son, which, after all, we don't use the term prodigal very often. Well, you know, they're a prodigal. There's all kinds of prodigals down at Walmart today. You know, we don't say that, even though they probably are. <laughs> but this is a son who was lost. This is a son that ended up in a place he didn't belong and somehow found his way home. But there's a preface, and, or, or there's a, a piece in between that I'm not going to read, but I want to bring it to your attention, because some of you might have your Bibles here today and open them to the passage, and you might want to go home and read that. So as this is happening, Jesus, there's these other stories interspersed. So there's a story of a lost sheep, and there's a story of a lost coin that are inserted here in this chapter and then we hear the story about the lost son. And, you know, people have made a lot out of this. Is that it's something where we have a, an escalation in value? A sheep to a coin to a son? Um, so there's, there's all kinds of, you know, speculation and things about like that. But <clears throat> if you've ever lost something, and something you know you were going to miss, um, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. Now, this weekend, I had the opportunity of sitting next to a guy I just met, and he and I were talking, and he is experiencing some really hard times, and he leaned over to me, and he goes, I want to ask you one more thing, and, and that's all I'm going to ask of you. And I knew what was coming. And he goes, can, can you give me any cash? And I reached in my pocket, and so here's the thing. You know, God is great, and God is good, and he guides his servants. And I had just been in a store, and I had just spent a a significant amount of cash, not a huge ton of money, but I'd had a lot of cash in my pocket, and I spent it, and when I came out of the store, I counted the $1 bills that I had left, and there were six of them. I had six bucks, and I put it back in my pocket, and then ended up talking to this guy, and he goes, can you give me a little bit of cash? And in that moment, two rare things happened. I actually had cash in my pocket. That's rare. Even more rare, I actually knew how much I had. In my I have six dollars. And I, so this is what I said. I am going to give you all the cash I have. And I reached in my pocket and I gave him the six dollars. And 
he thanked me and he took it. And I have to tell you, I have not missed that $6. I did not go home and go, oh my word, I was going to spend that $6 on. I didn't do that. I'm not feeling any kind of deficit. There's no stress in my life because oh, what am I going to do now? That six bucks is gone. I'm not, it's just not there. However, thinking about this, I went back to when I was in high school, or sorry, in college. I, I had a motorcycle and I was going to buy, um, I had saved up to buy a stereo for my dorm room. And I had worked through the summer and it was warm and I was on my motorcycle and I threw on a jacket, a jean jacket, and I took the cash that I'd saved up for my stereo and I shoved it in my pocket and I jumped on my motorcycle and I was rather negligent. And I went tearing across town and I got to the store and I reached in my jacket pocket and that money was gone. And somewhere along the way it blew out and I retraced my steps. And this is Kansas, folks. When wind blows, that money was somewhere in Nebraska at that point. <laughs> and I went back to my dorm room and I sulked. I mean, I went back there and I was just mopey and sad and this isn't right. I saved up that money and I was going to buy my stereo and life is so bad and I may just, you know, end it all. Yeah, you know, I felt sorry for what I felt like was a huge loss, but it's nothing compared to some of these losses we experience in life. And so, that's the framework that Jesus sets. I want to talk to you about losing a coin, a sheep, a sheep, a coin, and then a son. And losing a child. I'm not sure how you top that one. But there's something going on that gives us some context to the story that Jesus tells. And so I'm going to take the scripture apart this morning and so bear with me if you're following along just keep your finger there in Luke chapter 15 because I'm going to come back to it we're going to jump around a little bit in there but here's what's happening this is the circumstances of Jesus telling this incredible powerful story this is what's going on tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. So here's our context. Jesus is hanging out. And the people that show up to hear him preach are scum. And, and, and they show up, and then, as they're there, it just so happens, and as often is the case, so do the Pharisees. They've got to hear this guy who's teaching about truth. And so you have the scum, you have the lowlifes, these ne'er-do-well tax collectors, collaborators with Roman occupiers, politically ostracized people that are only in it for a buck. And then next to them are notorious sinners. So you know the context of this, right? Everybody knows these people and everybody knows what they've done. That guy's ripped off everybody in town. That woman has slept with every man that crossed the threshold of her door. 
that guy over there has beat his wife so bad she will never recover. Notorious sinners. These are not just... I'm a little suspicious about these people. We're not talking about that. These are people that we're just like, whoa. You know, you just move aside because we know who these people are. We know. We know what they do. They're easy to identify. I mean, they may as well be wearing the orange jumpsuits. They may as well be wearing, you know, gang colors. Because we know these people and we avoid them. Several years ago, we went to a family gathering in Illinois. And as is the custom with my wife's family, they really, really like to go to a buffet. And we went to Golden Corral. And we go inside and we push tables together because her family is huge. And they like to get together. And we were there at Golden Corral. We sat down, and her family, when we get together, all of us, we also pray. So here are about 20 of us around the table, and we pray, thank you, Jesus, for this food. And everybody grabs their plate and bolts for the buffet. And we get up to the buffet, and there's these guys standing in front of us, and they're big guys. But what's most identifiable about these guys is they've got leather jackets on, and on the back of their leather jackets, what we call a cut for the outlaws. Now, if you don't know who the outlaws are, bear with me. You, you, some of you know motorcycle lore and motorcycle clubs. The outlaws and the Hells Angels are the two most notorious motorcycle clubs in the United States, and they hate each other. And they will kill each other. These, are, these guys are bad guys. And I grab my plate, and I go waltzing up there, and these guys are standing right in front of us. And you have to understand that Kayleen's family, there's a lot of us that have owned motorcycles, and we get in line, and Kayleen's dad is anything but shy. He is a gregarious guy. He does not know a stranger. And he gets in front of us, he goes, Hey, how are you guys doing? And I'm like, Dad! They're bad! And he doesn't hear, he's deaf. And he, he goes, so how do you guys do? What do you guys ride? I'm rolling my eyes here. I'm going, stay away. And you know, these guys turned around and to my amazement, they were friendly. And, uh, you know, we came through and they go, you guys want to go ahead of us? They let some of the gals go ahead. And, and I'm sitting here going, I know about you guys. And you're being nice to us. That's nice. But you scare me to death. Because I know who you are. It's right there on your back. And so these people that have come in here, so we got these tax collectors, everybody knows, well, they come around and they bring a, a Roman centurion with them and I've got to open my wallet and just turn out cash. And then they walk away and go, oh, thank you very much for paying your taxes. I mean, if that's not a timely thing this time of year, I don't know what is. So you got them. And then on top of them, you got these other people that you just go, man, those people scare me. What they do hurts everybody, hurts our whole community, puts everybody at risk. They're notorious sinners. So this is, now if that's all the crowd was, you would go, go Jesus, preach at them. Go get them, man. Get them to repent from their wicked ways. But that's only half the crowd. The other part of the crowd are these Pharisees and those who are the teachers of the religious law, is what we just read. And so the other side of the room, so, okay, you guys are the outlaws. Right? And you guys are the Pharisees. I don't know how that makes you feel. I don't like either one of you. 
<laughs> but here's the thing. This side, but don't leave it to me. This side of the room and this side of the room cannot stand each other. That's what's going on. So the Pharisees are going, we know what you did and you should repent and we teach the religious law. And this side of the room sits back and looks back at them and they go, oh, you arrogant, hypocritical, judgmental people, Pharisees. So you got the scum on the other side and then the ones that think, you know, we're the chosen over here. You got the golden children and the muddy children over here. And they're looking at each other and they're pointing at each other and they're whispering, or maybe they're not whispering, maybe they're yelling insults across the aisle. And Jesus picks up on this and he, he, you know, he evaluates the room. He just looks around and he goes, hey, you guys, I want to tell you a story. That's the context of what comes next. And he tells this story to a polarized crowd I mean, this is like getting the Democrats and the Republicans in the same room and throwing a budget out in the middle of the room. <laughs> right? And we, we hate each other. We accuse each other of trying to destroy the nation and maybe even the world. And Jesus says, I have a story to tell you. So then we come back to this. So go back into your Bibles, and we're going to jump ahead. Like I said, we're going to skip the other lost stories. But we're going to come in at verse 11 of chapter 15 of Gospel of Luke. And so we, we know this. he's done this. He's talked about the lost sheep. He's talked about a lost coin. He goes, now to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now, before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land where he wasted all his money in wild living. By the way, that's what younger sons do. Don't ask me how I know that. Here's the, here's the thing. So there's, there's a little more context to this. In, in Middle Eastern culture of the time, the oldest son gets everything. In fact, it's still pretty common over there. The firstborn son gets everything, and everybody else in the family makes sure that that happens. And then that oldest son is supposed to take care of the rest of the family. That's his responsibility. So this younger son comes along and goes, you know, I don't want to wait till you die, and I certainly don't want it to go through the hands of my older brother. So if I'm going to get anything, give it to me now. And he's demanding and arrogant and rude and all these things. And some of you know that if there's one surefire way to divide a family, it's, it's get into an estate. And so you have these sons. And in this moment, the, 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 son, the younger son comes along and shoves his way to the front. Not just in terms of relationship where his older brother is supposed to get this first but he shoves his way to the front where he's not even willing to wait till dad's dead and in that moment he says I want this for me now I want my way I want to put me first so give me my part of the estate we're going to come back to this because this is a big issue 
and he pushes himself to the front. And then, like a lot of younger sons, now I've got what I'm going to get. I'm going to get out. Like a lot of kids that, you know, I've been trapped in this one-horse town. And we've all, you know, seen the movies and heard the stories. How in the world do I get out? I, I, I need out of this place. Let me go. Because this place is horrible. Never mind the fact that it's given me everything I have. And he goes to this far off country, this distant land. And he lives it up. And he spends it all. And I would just tell you, the son was lost at the moment he said me first. Every bit of family dynamic that had a part of their culture, every bit of Middle Eastern culture, Palestinian culture that Jesus would have known about and everybody in the crowd knew about, this son has thrown it all aside. And I'm sure the Pharisees in the crowd are going, Families don't work that way. This is dysfunctional. He needs to be brought back into line. And at the same time, I'm sure, you know, the other side of the crowd are sitting there going, stick it to the man. Right? Just get, get out of my way. If I, if, there's, if I don't do this, there will be nothing left because I've sat under the thumb of the older brother and it isn't so comfortable there. So I'm throwing convention aside because convention isn't justice. And this is where lost starts to happen. This is where people pull apart. And then he runs to that far off country and lost happens. I mean, he really gets lost. We know the story. He gets over there. He spends it all. He's all alone. He ends up working for a farmer. He's feeding pigs. He's hungry. He'll eat what the pigs are eating. So... We pick it up in verse 16 through 19. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. I mean, he was so hungry that even these things that were not good enough for human consumption were beginning to become a possibility. And even though he is starving, he isn't going to survive but nobody, you're nobody here, buddy. You're not even a younger brother here. When he finally came to his senses, I like this. Some of you were in, uh, I've I got to stop and go off on this rabbit trail. Some of you were in Elements two weeks ago when Superintendent Bruce was with us and he was talking about what salvation means, how we're saved. And he alluded to the story and he said, you know, here it is in the story and when is the moment of salvation? The moment of salvation is, is on this line. When he came to his senses. He said to himself. At home. Back at dad's place. Even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father. And say father I have sinned. Against both heaven. And you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So there's that. There's that thing where all of a sudden, I, I don't belong here. I don't want to stay here. And I'm never going to get back to where I was. I'm never going to be restored because I took it. I took what I had coming. 
But maybe I can go back and sneak in the back door and act like a servant. Maybe he'll, you know, dad's going to be embarrassed and everybody's going to say, so what happened to you off in that wild country living it up? And maybe I can just pretend I'm somebody else, that I'm not his son. I'll just pretend that I'm just a slave. This is what happens when we end up being lost. When we end up being lost, we end up giving up our identity. We end up giving up who we are just to survive. We end up giving up the notion that I'm a child of God and we'll just settle for being a child. And so he comes back and he's not humbled, he's humiliated. There's a big difference. And I'll just go back and sneak back into dad's house because, you know, even the servants have enough to give me a little bit. I'll hang out where I know there's something even though I don't belong. So here's the thing. I want to talk about half and double. <clears throat> because here's what happened. This, he, he pushed his way to the front of the line and he said, I want my half. I want my portion. And I'm going to take it now. I'm not going to wait. And I'm going to take it and I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not going to take it and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, Dad, I'm going to buy this property right next to yours and adjoin and add in and multiply what you have. Nope. I'm taking it and I'm out of here. I'm gone. And not only am I taking my inheritance, I am taking my presence, which I think is much more important than the money. I'm taking my presence in this family. You used to have two sons, but from now on you got one. And so I'm taking my portion, my half, and I am running with it. And when I come back, and it's all gone, your net worth is half what it was. And so here's the thing. We think of this in economic terms because that's really easy to understand. So, you know, his, his estate was worth 100000 and the son comes back and we only got 50000 and we've been making do on half of what you, we had before. That's hard. Those are hard times. If I were to say to you, you know, one of your kids is going to take half of your income this next year, you guys would be sitting here going, we, we, we need a calculator a minute. We've got to figure out how we're going to make do on this. But not only that, you compound it because in this day and age, and Jesus is talking to them, having two sons means I've got two people to help on this property, oversee this. I have two people who are going to run this for me. I know from living in Africa, your kids in Africa, your kids are your retirement plan. That's what you're going to live off of when you can no longer work the land by yourself. And I'm sure it was the same in this instance. The son's not only taking money, he's taking security from the family. He's taking his presence from the family. He's taking the fact that we used to be able to celebrate the holidays with two sons and now we only have one. And he's doing this by choice. He doesn't want to be here. He doesn't want to be a part of the security and the providing for this family. He wants out. 
And so he takes his half of the inheritance and he runs thinking, I've got it all now and nobody can tell me what to do. And I am my own person. And what he finds out is you can end up with half of the inheritance and none of the joy. So Jesus is talking to the crowd and here's, here's the interesting thing. It's awfully difficult to assign roles to the people in the crowd. Who's, who's the one who takes it and runs? I mean, is it the notorious sinners over here, you know? The, we, we know who they are. I mean, it's just, it's written all over their lives. They're a mess and they are dangerous. And they, you know, and, and they have been out of order all their lives. They took themselves out of society. Or is it the, the Pharisees over here and the teachers of the law that have taken the law of God? The, the good news of how God has chosen his people and they've corrupted it and they've turned it into pig slop. And it's really hard to assign roles because you could say, no, wait a minute, I think they're, no, wait, 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 maybe they're the ones. Here's the wonderful thing about this story. You can find yourself in the story no matter who you are. Because the human condition is such that we have messed up. And we have taken what we thought was our portion, what we were entitled to, and then looked down and found out that there's no joy there. There's just nothing there but misery. When I tried to grab it, it's gone. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is writing, and he, he has this probably the most quoted part of Ecclesiastes that we quote when he says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And my friend John Martin, who worked on translating the NIV, said that he wished that we had translated that vaporous, vaporous, everything is vaporous. He's something about the Hebrew terminology, I don't understand. But he said it's as though you try to grab it, and it's just gone. It's just like a vapor. It's like a hologram. It's like a, a promise that isn't even there. This, I, I had my inheritance and the next thing I knew I looked down and I got nothing. How did life turn out this way for me? I had hope. I had dreams. And the next thing I do, I look down and it's, it's gone. You know, for the, for the rough, notorious sinners over here, it's, you know, I thought I could shove my way to the front and finally life would treat us in a decent way and we wouldn't have to be under the thumb of somebody else and, and it still hurts and it's still a mess. Or you have the Pharisees over here that we have tried to enforce and we have tried to demand that people do what the law says and things are more a mess now than they've ever been. Now we've got these Romans here. We have no control over these people. The more we try to gain things into our hands, the more they slip through our fingers. And so we have this issue where things have been put in half. Let's go back to our scripture now in verse 20 through 24. So this is what he does. He comes to his senses. He goes, I'm going home. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. No sneaking back in the house. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, 
bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him, get a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost and now he is found. So the party began. I like that. So the party began. So okay, let's, let's just go back and walk through this image a little bit and this story that Jesus tells so remember where the son's coming from. He's coming from a distant land. He has been working with pigs. And he has starved to death. And the father sees him coming a long way off. I, I wonder how recognizable he really was. I mean, he's probably emaciated, stinky, dirty, tired. He ran from here with his head held high and he returns with his tail between his legs. But the father sees him a long way off. And remember the father's response? The father runs to him and the father embraces him and the father kisses him. Now, I got to tell you, there have been times when I have returned home dirty and tired and stinky and I haven't always enjoyed that kind of reception. I mean, you know, my family's not waiting at the door to hug and kiss me when I come in all sweaty and greasy and tired and grumpy. Yeah. But that's not the father's response. And then he goes beyond that because remember there's this identity thing going on. I'm going to sneak in as a servant. Well, no one's looking. I'm just going to pick up a tool and go, oh, yeah, you know, what's for supper? But no, the father recognizes him and, and the ruse is up before it even starts. And he runs to him and he identifies his son. He embraces him. He kisses his dirty face. He embraces his smelly clothes. And then he goes beyond. That. He goes, go get the best robe. Because I want everyone to know this is my son. Go get the ring, you know, the thing that signifies our family. Put it on his finger. I want him to be re-identified as mine. And so this half and double thing, he's coming back. He, he thinks he's going to be reduced to slave status or servant status. But what he receives instead is readmission into the family and probably another inheritance. Oh, this is so improper. This is so unjust. He should come back and work off the debt. He should come back and pay what he owes. Right? This is the way we talk about this. This is not God's economy, though. In God's economy, oh, you came back penniless? It's all gone? It's all wasted? Let's make you another inheritance. Let's write a new chapter in the story of our family. And so instead of coming back with half of what they once were, when the son returns, their joy is doubled. The math does not work. Calculators can't do this. I know for some of us, that so we're sitting here, we're hearing this story and we're going, you know, I lost, I lost that loved one who walked away, mistreated me, called me names. told lies about me. And if they were to come back, I would not be kissing them and putting rings on their fingers. I would say, you jerk. 
You owe me. But that is not the way God does this. And let me tell you, friends, this is one of the hardest things for us to do, and to imitate the Lord in this fashion. To say, oh, you, you stole this inheritance? You stole from our family because you weren't here. You reduced our family by half. But now that you're home, our joy is doubled. Our joy is doubled. It's like another inheritance. So, and we know... We know what happens. The older brother comes and he hears the music and he smells the food being cooked and he goes, I am not going in there. You know, because he's smart. He's the one that stayed. He's the one that kept the family together. He's the one that filled the role that he was supposed to fill. And he comes back and they're partying in there and I am not going in. That's literally what he says. I'm not going in. And his father meets him. He says, your brother's home. Our family is no longer half. Our family is whole. And this is, you know, he goes, uh-uh, no, I can't do that. He owes us. Make him a servant. You realize the two sons are in agreement. It's the father who disagrees. <laughs> I like that. So this is what the father says. <laughs> Verse 32, the father says, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. We had to celebrate this happy day. I got to tell you, this story says very little to me about justice. This story screams of mercy. My daughter's up in Kansas City worshiping with some other people today, the other half of our family. She would love this because she loves sheep. And I just, I did a search for an image and I came up with, I did twins and look at what I found. Guess which one's the older brother? We can't tell. It doesn't matter. But when they're together, it looks awfully good, doesn't it? You see, when half of the family is restored, our joy is doubled. You can imagine that this father goes, it's not about money, it's that my heart was divided, and now it's not that my heart is just uh, uh, whole, it's that my heart is overflowing. And so the thing with people becoming found, with coming back to Jesus is not just that, okay, now we can put things back in order and we can get people back in line and make sure don't do that again. No. This is the joy of the Lord. This is the cup running over. This is the angels rejoicing. And so, you know, my friends, I know that we, there are times when we have been around people who are those notorious people or those arrogant Pharisees, and we just go, I, I don't even want to stand near them. But as they return to the Lord, it should somehow multiply our joy. Because the Father has his family back. Band, let's